Welcome to the Just Write Show, where you'll explore the world of the written word. From books to blogs, sales copy to screenplays, emails to essays, and everything in between. You'll discover the tips, tricks, and tactics the most successful writers in the world use every day. And now, here's your host, Travis Cody. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Just Right Show. This is Travis Cody and I am super excited for our guest today, Doberman Dan. Doberman Dan is a 33-year serial entrepreneur and direct response copywriter who has worked in a ton of different niches, but his specialty has been health, fitness, and bodybuilding markets. Dan has started four of his own nutritional supplement businesses. He's sold three of them, and he's enjoyed two different bouts of mini-retirement. He's also recently been hired by a billion-dollar-a-year direct response marketing company to help them start a brand-new supplement division from the ground up. Dan has also been publishing the Doberman Dan Letter since 2011 and has many of the most successful marketers in the world as subscribers. Dan has written hundreds of successful ads, direct mail packages, websites, email marketing campaigns, feature articles, newsletters, and in fact, his ads and articles have appeared in Entrepreneur, Investors Business Daily, Penthouse, Muscle Mag International, Flex, Muscle and Fitness, Men's Edge, Iron Man, Muscular Development, Reps, Exercise for Men Only, Natural Bodybuilding and Fitness, The National Enquirer, Weekly World News, and a ton of other numerous mainstream newspapers and magazines, far more than I have time to go over here. He also has a podcast called Off the Chains. It's on iTunes. It's been a big hit with entrepreneurs around the world. And you're going to enjoy our interview today. But when we're finished, if you want to know more about him and you want to read any of the hundreds of articles that he's been written, you can find out more about him at DobermanDan.com. That said, Dan, welcome to the call and Thanks, to the show. This is a show, not a call, but since the show, you know, right. Since we're we're having to do things virtually these days, welcome to the show. <laughs> I appreciate the invite. I've been looking forward to it. Now, I almost said that you were a 33-year-old serial entrepreneur, but that that would that would not do justice to the the crazy amount of of torture and uh, pain and suffering that you've gone through on your road to being a successful entrepreneur. I would like to go back to uh, being a 33-year-old entrepreneur, but know then what I know now. Well, Dan, the reason I was so excited to talk to you today, obviously, you and I go way back. We've known each other for years, but my own life, uh, I'm a copywriter, but I've also written screenplays, and I've, I also write nonfiction books, and I've written some, I'm working on some some fiction books. And so, the, the world of writing is so fascinating to me because a lot of times people sort of get into these little boxes where like, oh, I'm only a fiction writer. I'm only a screenwriter. I'm whatever. And, and so they kind of get in this little box. But the, the fact that we live in this world today where it's just wide open for us and, and your path has gone down that road. And I'm so fascinated by your history, but how you went from essentially being a police officer and for nine years, sort of teaching yourself, you know, good enough sales copy to launch your own business, but then expanded. It wasn't just sales copy. It went into articles. You went into ads. You have your own newsletter. You have emails. So I would like to today kind of get into and talk about, you know, what what was at what point in your life as a police officer did you go, man? I maybe if I learn this copywriting thing. Uh, that would be a good idea. And, and what was the process you went from sort of transitioning from 
law enforcement into being sort of a full-time writer? Well, I didn't, I didn't want to do any of the things that I've done. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to be a professional musician. Granted, when I was a kid, I wanted to be um, a rock star. But then as I got older and got more realistic, at least I thought it was realistic, I just wanted to be a professional musician. But everybody, everybody in my family, all my friends, all my peers, apparently that's not realistic. And so I just got cut off at the knees by everybody. Oh, man. Um, even though, you know, I tried to do it, but it's, you know, it's hard to make a living as a musician, period. Much harder when you live in Barberton, Ohio. Not exactly. <laughs> the mecca of the music scene. And so, you know, I just needed to pay the bills. Um, and I didn't have any life direction. So all the things I've done for a living came about by pure happenstance. So I needed a gig when uh, my band couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't, uh, what's the old joke? What's the difference between a guitarist and a, and a large pizza? The, the pizza can feed a family of four. I couldn't even <laughs> put a roof over my head and feed myself with the band I was in. So I needed a gig and I found this, this one of the rubber companies when they were still located in Akron, Ohio, was on strike and they needed uh, a security guard from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And it was the only gig I could get, minimum wage. And so night I shift. got that gig, night shift, you know, just because I needed a job. It right. wasn't, I wasn't interested in that. And, and then I moved to Dayton, Ohio. And since I already had experience in security, I needed a job. I got a job in security. And then I met, you know, the cops down there. And then some friends of mine who work with me in security said, hey, the city of Dayton's giving the civil service test for police officer. We're going to take it. You should take it. And I said, okay, I'll go take it. And uh, I told them, as soon as they find out how much weed I smoked in high school, that I will be disqualified. <laughs> but so anyway, I got that job. Long story short, I had no life direction. And so I just kept following into these jobs. And I hadn't been on the police department very long when I realized you know, I don't want to be doing this for 25 years. First of all, almost nobody makes it to 25 years. They either go out um, six foot under or on a disability pension for physical disability or mental disability. Um, so, you know, somebody hit me up for the Amway business. And that was the first time I ever had the thought like, oh, wait a minute, my own business. I never thought of that option. And so that started me down that path. I failed at that, but it got me thinking, okay, the way to get my freedom from the police department is to start a business. So I kept starting all these businesses for, for 12 years. I was a full-time cop for the last nine wow. years. I was a, I was a full-time cop, a part-time failed entrepreneur and all these businesses just kept failing. I mean, none of them made any money. I couldn't get anything off the ground. So what are some of the things you attempted to start? Um, uh, well there, so there was the Amway business. There was, um, another multi-level, there was a jewelry business. There was a home improvement business. There were two vending businesses. Um, there was a door to door sales deal selling long distance service. Like I just, none of this stuff ever made any money. And because of that, I discovered this thing by Dan Kennedy being sold called the magnetic marketing system. 
And, um, and, and what hooked me was the promise, because I was doing some sort of grunt work business at the time where you had to go out and shake the bushes um, mm, door to, to get door. customers. Yeah, I did, I did several door-to-door -door things. I failed at all of them. But um, so, you know, it, his pitch was customers come to you. So I bought that thing and it was this three ring binder of really bad quality um, Xerox copies back in the day, right? <laughs> and six, it was probably like 10th generation cassette tapes, you know, the, like, oh, by, no. <laughs> you know, by the 10th generation, the quality is so bad. It sounded like, <laughs> you know, but I dug into that and it made sense. Really what it was all about was direct response marketing. And that was the first time I'd ever been exposed to it. But it made sense. And I thought, I see how this can be used, you know, for a business to get clients. But what looks way cooler is this guy sold me paper and ink and six cassettes, you know, that probably cost him 10 bucks to put together. And he sold it to me for 400. Wow. So I want to do that. And I just like basically modeled what he was doing using sales copy to sell information products. And I just did that to start a mail order business in the bodybuilding market. And um, that was like the first successful business I had after nine years of serial failures. I didn't want to be a copywriter. didn't even know what a copywriter was. Um, didn't even know that they were available for high. Didn't even know books were available on the topic. I just like modeled what I saw Dan do and, and used the sales copy in that magnetic marketing system is my model and wrote a sales letter to sell my own self-published bodybuilding course. Wow. So yeah, I never wanted to be a writer. I just, the idea of a mail, this is pre-internet, by the way, the idea of a mail order business where people call in their orders to you or they mail in checks and you don't have to talk to people appealed to me and you needed sales copy to do it. So that's why I started writing stuff. Not that I wanted to be one. So how long was it from when you got the Dan Kennedy thing and you launched your own product before you started seeing like income coming, like for, you know, cause you tried all like almost a decade of failing. So like, was there a moment, like did, did you follow the thing and create your thing and uh, your product and then, you know, mail out some letters and then had money coming right in. Uh, and, and what was that like when you realized that you were onto something that this might actually work? Um, it was, it was pretty soon. It, I mean, it took me 12 months to get to the point where I was making enough money that I, I was able to leave the police department, but it was pretty soon. Like it was, I was doing two steps. I'd run a small fractional page lead generation ad in a muscle magazine saying, you know, whatever the headline was, how to gain muscle, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, call for 24 hour free record a message. And the, they called, there was a free record a message, say, leave your name and address if you want to receive the free report. And so I begged with the guy to sell me that ad for like 200 bucks, the ad rep. And, um, and he agreed that the regular price was a thousand. I, I just didn't have it. I mean, I, I didn't have 200 either, but I did have <laughs> $200 worth of credit on a credit card yeah. and he let me do it. And um, it's, I'll never forget when the ad finally hit, um, 
I called up the voicemail number and it said, you have 40 new messages. And I was so excited, but this is back in the day, man. Technology wasn't then what it is now. Like I had to hand transcribe all those 40 calls. And, uh, you know, that was a pain to do that. It was a lot of grunt work, but I sent out those 40 (laughs) letters. And as soon as I started getting orders, I realized I'm on to something, man. So it was, it was pretty much after that ad hit, you know, that, that this, I realized, Hey, this thing can make some money. And then 12 months later, I had matched my police department income and I left that job. Wow. And you've never looked back. No, I mean, for all intents and purposes, for the past, whatever it's been, quarter of a century now, that is the exact process that I've been doing to support my two bad habits of sleeping indoors and eating is starting (laughs) businesses driven by direct response marketing. Wow. That's amazing. So now th- this is the thing I think is fascinating because there's so many people that they, they go into copywriting because I just want to make a living just writing words. And you didn't even know that was a career path. In fact, you didn't actually even become, quote, a uh, professional copywriter or someone could hire you until after you had sold, what, three of your own businesses and were semi-retired? Yeah. Um, yeah, let me see. That was like 2012. I did just as a favor to some people who, who knew me. I like took an, a very occasional gig, like, like, you know, maybe one every couple of years or every three years for a short period of time. Like you could literally count on one hand the number of copywriting gigs I did during that period. And it was just favors for friends. Right. But it wasn't till I sold one of my supplement businesses in 2012 that I actually started making myself available like as a career as a full-time thing so was there a point then where you said oh maybe i should study this copywriting thing and learn more about it or were you just kind of riding off of like you read dan kennedy's thing got enough for it and then just as you wrote it you kind of naturally understood how it worked and were successful with that well dan so dan's that magnetic marketing course was the only education i had for a while but then he pitched me on his newsletter so I started getting Dan Kennedy's newsletter and then uh, Kennedy talked about Gary Halbert. So I tracked him down and started getting his newsletter. And then those guys started talking about copywriting books. So that's when I started getting the books prior to that. I didn't even know, I didn't know what copywriting was. Didn't know there were books available. Wow. Um, and yeah, so how so far, I, like, was was that like what, four or five years into your kind of career? No, probably just probably just a a year or so, really. Still, though, I mean, you built a successful business, and that this is the thing that I find. And so, like in my own life, I like this is something I got hung up with is that coming out of Hollywood, I sort of got um, just like everything has to be perfect. Like you don't turn in a screenplay unless you've you've re. I have friends that were like, oh, I don't even show anyone a screenplay until after it's on the eighth draft. Like, so they'll write it entirely sit on it for a month then rewrite it from scratch and they'll do that seven or eight times before they'll even ask for feedback on it and so when i went in my copywriting career uh i was studying copywriting and direct marketing while i was in hollywood because i was trying to figure out how to apply direct marketing principles to market films Um, and so when i started to think about maybe i could make money doing copywriting Like, man, I probably spent two years just reading books and, and, and studying because I always felt like, oh, I don't know enough to be able to be a professional. And I, 
I, from talking to other people, I feel in the society that we have today, that sometimes can be a, a huge roadblock for a lot of people in that, uh, what's the analogy? They're like the, the, the person at the pool that wants to learn how to swim. And so they'll go to the pool and they got their fins and their, their floaties and their towel and, their, and, and, and the big stack of books on how to swim. And then they're like, well, I'm not going to actually get in the pool until I've read all these books and understand the concept of swimming. And the reality is until you, you just have to jump in the water. And uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued because your, your process was a little bit backwards. You're like, I saw this thing, let me try it. And then you get going down the road with it. And then you're like, oh, well, let me. Now, now that I know how to swim and I, I know I'm not going to drown, let, let me take a look at some of these other strokes here and see what else is there. So that, that's, that's remarkable that you were able to, to do that because I've seen a ton of people that it's almost the opposite. They'll take forever learning and never actually give it a try. Well, financial desperation is a really good motivator. <laughs> uh, you know, I just... That should be a t-shirt, the Dan Kennedy t-shirt. Financial desperation is a good motivator. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's a good saying. Um, We've got, here we go. It's Stoberman Dance Coaching Program. And the way it works is when I sign up, uh, you know, I have to move to Florida and then you're going to put me in the woodshed out back. And then like, you just take all of my money out of all my bank accounts. And then you're like, okay, now you're in a position where I can mentor you effectively. <laughs> now that if, the, if this sales letter doesn't convert tomorrow you don't eat <laughs> and if You've it doesn't eat point. next week i'm kicking you out of the woodshed and you'll be homeless <laughs> that would be that would be some pretty strong and you can charge twenty five thousand dollars for that mentorship dan that's how it works <laughs> <laughs> well it would it would definitely be motivating you, you know i just i was desperate to get off of the police department. I, I had just, I saw where that wound up for most people. And I had had some really bad experiences and I felt like I was at the end of my rope and I had, and it's not like I had other options, you know? So, right. so, you know, I felt like I had nothing to lose. I just had to, you know, I had to do it. I had to get it out there. And, and, um, it was my copy great? No, not at all. But it was it was sure good enough to make some money. Well, and that's you know that's all that, that matters. And I think it was Gary Halbert in one of his newsletters. He talked about. Uh, uh, I think he has a uh, one of his newsletters talks about how to become a, a you know a, a decent copywriter in thirty days or less. And he has his, his program his process. And in there somewhere, I believe he says, you know, are you going to be a world class copywriter at this point? No, but will you know good enough? copy and yes and i think that's you know the the, the thing like it, you just have to know copywriting good enough sales copywriting good enough and you can you know you can have a really great life with that i think some people kind of get hung up with being you know i gotta be the a-list guy and i gotta be the perfect guy and the reality is you know the guys that aren't after any of that and they're like I, i'm just i would rather let, let me write it test it and get it out the door are going to get way further down the road than someone who's like, let me write this and then rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. And, 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 and they're too scared to test it because if it fails then it means they're a failure sort of thing. Um, so that's, 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 that's incredible. Um, so what, so you were into your career then what about 20 years and you finally said, you know, I, I, uh, let's go through the, <clears throat> when did you start thinking about having a monthly newsletter and what was the process that you went through to, kind of organize that and get it ready and launched because you've been doing this and then we'll get into, you know, how you've also now managed to maintain that 10 years, we used class 10 years here, every single month you've got this newsletter coming out. 
Yeah, I guess. So this is my 11th year. Not, I haven't completed the 11th year, but I've started my 11th year. I'm halfway through my 11th year. Um, it, that was like a last minute brain fart decision. My full-time business <laughs> at the time was still um, a supplement business. Uh, the se- no, the third, I guess it was the third supplement business I had started, the second bodybuilding supplement business I started. And I saw so I still had that. And then I thought, you know, um, I had been publishing some stuff on a blog, but I thought I'm going to start a paper and ink newsletter like Dan Kennedy and Halbert, um, you know, just because I, I want to get these lessons down on paper that I've learned. And you know, a blog is eh, one way of doing it, but it's, it's not like, it doesn't seem real. So I thought, but if it's in paper and ink, people have paid me for it. And now I have a self-imposed deadline. I will get this stuff down on paper. And that was December of 2010, January 1 of 2011, the first issue launched. Wow. So now, how do you manage that? Because, excuse me, tickle on my throat there. Um, you know, the idea, so you, you, your basic marketing newsletter. So where do you, like, you know, I, 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 like in my mind, I would think, oh, I'm going to create this newsletter about, I don't know, screenwriting, let's say. And, and I'd be all excited about it. I think after about a year, I'd be like, I don't know what else to write about. So like, how do you come up with material to write about month after month? I mean, for 10 years, you've been coming up. So where do you, how do you, like, what, do you have a process for how that's organized? Um, I probably do. <laughs> but, <laughs> Is it a subconscious um, process? I think it's a subconscious process. Uh, same thing with the copywriting. Like I don't, I, I don't have formulas or templates or stuff like that, but, I, but that, but yes, actually I do. There are formulas and templates. It's just, you know, subconscious. It's in, it's in you, my brain. You have a big alarm that goes off on the 10th of the month. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I got three days to get my 16 pages done. <laughs> I gotta that, go. That happens. That happens somewhat frequently. Um, like some months it's, you know, like it's, I know exactly what I'm going to say. And there's other months that it's, it's down to the wire. And I do granted, I mean, I repeat stuff because if we're, if we're going to talk about direct response, marketing, persuasion, copywriting, I mean, the basics are the basics and they never really change. There's, there's all kinds of subtleties, of course, but the basics never really change. So, you know, like, I have repeated myself a lot over these uh, 11 years. I mean, like, you know, I, I feel like I'm a broken record about working your back end because most business owners suck at it or don't do it at all. The only thing they focus on is getting new customers and, you know, you don't make any money that way. So I, I do, I am a broken record on that topic and I do repeat things, but I think, I think the thing that keeps me going is, I'm interested in this topic. I still find it fascinating and my education still hasn't stopped. And I'm reading uh, like a diversity of stuff, including, you know, a lot of stuff that's completely unrelated to marketing, but then it all seems to congeal together in my head and produce lessons that I can share, you know, in my newsletter. And I have over the, well, I guess I've always kind of done this, but um, 
you know, I do talk about mindset issues since that's like one of the biggest, uh, what am I looking for? One of the biggest plateaus or stepping stones for entrepreneurs and marketers is, is limiting beliefs and mindset issues. So I do, you know, I address those in the newsletter. It's not just strictly about marketing, but you know, I think it just comes from input, just lots and lots of input. And then that all kind of congeals together. And I figure out like, ah, oh, you know, I got an idea what I can share in the newsletter. Well, there's two things here that I think are important to point out is that on the one hand, it makes sense that you would repeat yourself over and over because 10 years ago, your concept of uh, an avatar, how do you do avatar research? I, I would assume that over 10 years of actually applying that for your own business and other clients' businesses, that you're going to learn deeper processes, more effective processes, and have even keener realizations. And with some of my clients, I've, I've noticed as they go along through their careers, as they get along, the deeper they get into a topic, the more clearly they're able to see how to peel off the inefficiencies. And so 10 years ago, when you're, I, I'm, you know, I haven't read uh, your, your newsletters going back 10 years, but just using this example, I, again, they, what, you were, what you knew and believed about avatar research, while the core principles are there, I'm sure at this point, you've learned a few things from that. So you can repeat it because it's, it's, it's repeated with through the lens of having a lot more wisdom and experience with it as you go along, like using your bodybuilding business. Uh, when you're in your 30s and the bodybuilding magazines you were sharing, when you're in your 40s and now you're, you're selling uh, fitness for people and men in their 40s, let's say, that the foundational principles are the same, but it's also a whole different ballgame uh, for somebody in their 30s and their 40s. So that makes uh, absolute sense to me uh, on that. Yeah, it's all it's all just keeping the input going in, and that and for me that's still being in the game. Like I've so I'm still always either either promoting my own business or starting new projects of my own, and then working with clients and observing their process and helping their process. So you know, like I'm still in the game. I still got stuff to talk about. Right. It's important what you just said too. How a lot of it ends up being mindset stuff. I there's a mentor of mine who once said that when it comes to business in general, everybody wants the the hack, the fad, the shortcut, and they the strategy, what's the killer principle? What's how do you do it? How, and he's like and he said the strategies, tactics and principles are only the actual what are you doing in the business and how? He said it's only 10% of the business. And he said the 90% of the revenue comes from having the correct mindset beliefs and attitudes and he said if you didn't have that then he's like you could buy the world's most high class training and never never succeed and i mean an example he used was like travis if you took someone who was a multimillionaire, self-made multimillionaire, and gave them a course that showed them how to build a million dollar business the chances are super high that that person's going to build a million dollar another million dollar business whereas you give that exact same training to someone who's never made more than a hundred thousand dollars in a year and he's like, and they're not going to succeed at all. And, and he's like, and the thing is, it's like both, it's the exact same course. It's like, and you can even spell it out A to Z. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And yet one person will still not succeed with that. And he's like, why? And he's like, is it the training or the tactics? He's like, no, it's all the mindset and attitudes and beliefs behind the person doing that. So uh, that was one of the, probably the most important lessons I think I've learned in my business career so far. 
I'm fascinated by that. I'm, I'm, more, I'm more interested in that than marketing. In fact, my, my podcast took a pretty abrupt turn. I, I, done, I did that four years. I, I cut it off about a year ago. The, the episodes are still up on iTunes and every place. But, um, you know, that initially started out like it's going to be about marketing and entrepreneurship. And it, then it totally turned into pretty much exclusively about mindset. Just because, you know, I've seen like uh, the biggest breakthroughs that are made come from from mindset, um, either getting rid of limiting beliefs or limiting mindset or making mindset breakthroughs. So, yeah, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, well, it's important. There's a period of life where uh, after the COVID stuff and all of the protests and whatever, you have a lot of people in that community that were saying, hey, guys, as much as we'd love to say that it was all about police brutality, the, the reality is that it's why is there police brutality? Because there's a specific mindset built into the culture of police training. And then also at the same time in the black culture, uh, I've seen a lot of prominent black leaders saying it's great to address the police brutality, but until we address the cultural mindset as well. Like we're not going to make as much progress as we would like. The mindset isn't just a, a business thing. I mean, it applies to everything across the board. It's just, it's, it's a, amazing how deep and how much of society that, that really does impact, but not to go off on a tangent there, but yeah, that's, that's totally true. So well, that's a good point. So, all right. So we have started off writing for your own business, doing blogging and articles, and you did a newsletter. And I know you've got several books. There's three that I'm aware of that I, you know, and I'm aware of them because they're on Amazon. So you have the, the Rookies Copywriter Survival Guide. If I'm not mistaken, that was your first book. And then you had uh, Supplement Marketing Secrets followed by your, your manifesto on all things marketing, which is just sell the damn thing. So what was what was the process like for you to transition from being sort of a direct response and then trying to have to wrap your mind around into creating a structure for a book? Cause that's significantly different than, uh, than sitting down to write a 20 page you know, sales letter. I think you'll be greatly underwhelmed by this, uh, which by the way, I <laughs> actually, I have four books, but the, the most recent is not really available to the public. It's called, the secret code to hidden wealth, and that's only available to to people on my list. Yeah, we're gonna, and we'll get to that one because I'm aware of that one. But the the story yeah. behind that is so fascinating. We're gonna save part of this interview just for that because I think people's brains are gonna be blown away when they uh, they hear the thought process behind that and uh, how much you uh, actually sell that book for. <laughs> the first book, the the rookie copywriter survival guide. Um, like I say, you're just going to be so totally underwhelmed by this. I never wanted to write books again, you know, just let's go back to since age seven. The only thing I wanted to be was a professional musician, but I keep doing these other things to make money. <laughs> but um, I wanted to, I wanted to get a book on Amazon just to see what would happen. And I didn't, I just didn't want to spend much time doing it. So I took a transcription from a webinar that I had done for my list and just cleaned it up and made a book about it. Wow. And it's, you know, it's for copywriters. It's, it's for copywriters for people who want to be copywriters. And, you know, it's a short book and I just got it out there and it's cheap and I just wanted to see what would happen. Um, <laughs> That's, I thought, so what happened? Know. I'm curious. Well, what it did is it, uh, 
you know, I've got some calls to action on there to opt into my list. So it brings me opt-ins to my list. And then, you know, sometimes those people wind up doing business with me. So that's what happened. And it was, you know, it was a quickie thing to get it up on Amazon. I don't really promote it. Um, when I first put up on Amazon, I did promote it to my, you know, my own email list. But other than that, it's just whatever Amazon brings me. And, I, you know, I'll be the first to admit, it's not a great book. It's not a bad book. It's okay. A lot of people buy it like it. Um, a lot of people buy it who just want to write copy as a job sometimes aren't that thrilled with it because, um, you know, it basically teaches a lot of stuff that I did. And, you know, what Gary Halbert said, he said, you know, I don't think you should ever trust a copywriter and I don't think you should ever hire a copywriter who's never once um, put their own money behind their stuff. You know, they wrote copy for their own product. They advertise it. They put their own money on the line. And so that's what that book is about. Not necessarily doing that exclusively, although that's what I did for the longest time, but teaching copywriters how to do that so they can say to a client, Hey, look, I had the balls to put my own money on the line and here are the results, which that just, Amongst freelance copywriters, oh, man, that sets you head and shoulders. Uh, yeah, above. it's like yeah. I, I think of, I can only think of a couple of people I even I know that are copywriters who've ever done that. So you know, well, the not, main thing is, is you got your first book out, and I love what you said. You're like, ah, it's not a great book. But here, so I had a conversation with uh, Russell Brunson, and he was talking, and he also did a podcast, a whole podcast episode around this concept of, uh, you know, uh, when he released .com Secrets. That's kind of what launched his career. And they talked about how when he was getting ready to write, write his third book, which was Traffic Secrets, he just got this idea of like, oh, what if I go back and, and I update my first two books? And so I, don't know, I think it was six or seven years down the road, he goes back and looks at the manuscript for Dotcom Secrets and he's like, oh my gosh, like this is, it's just not good. He, he even said, he's like, it wasn't good. It was amateurs and all this. And he's like, but the thing is, he's like, I wrote it, and even though it wasn't a perfect book, I got it published, and that that made something happen, and that moved things, and that got me to this next place. And and then when he went back to to update it, he started to update the first one, and by the time he was at the end of chapter two, and I think he has twelve chapters, he had already added ten thousand words of new content. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, and so but, you know, but and that's the thing. That, that's the reason I want to bring that up is that you know the important. I'm the same way. My first book. It's okay. It's not great. But the thing is, is I, I, I went through the process and got it done and I learned a ton of lessons and I, you know, I got a, a healthy amount of negative reviews because of uh, some, uh, you know, very classic mistakes that I made. And I, I, you know, the thing is, I don't make those, I haven't made those mistakes in any of my subsequent books. <laughs> um, and that, you know, that put me in the next position for the next one. And I think that's for anyone who wants to write a book. I think that is the big thing is that you, there's gets to be this weird because you put so much time and effort into it. It's really to it. It's really easy to attach your worth to the book. All this book is a, it's a physical representation of me. And so someone's like, I hate this book. It's crap. All it was is a webinar transcript. Then you're like, Oh my God, I'm trash because my book sucks. And that's not the point at all. Like it's not about that at all. It's about getting it done 
and 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 I actually use I, I guess I stole this from uh, Gary Halbert because with a lot of my clients I always say you know with your first book well with any book really uh, you get your drafts to a point where you have to be comfortable with them being good enough and not being perfect because they'll never be perfect and if you're trying to get it to be exactly absolutely where you are like I love everything about this you'll just never you'll never publish like you'll always be pushing it down the road and so uh, the fact that you were like you know what I'm just going to do this to go through the experience to get my first book out there to see how it does and you know uh, for I I'm on Amazon right now and I'm looking at, uh, at the three books you have and, and that book your first one which you feel isn't like you know it's not super great book it actually has uh, triple the amount of reviews of any of your other books so I find that inter I find that interesting. I haven't checked reviews in so long. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, wow. All right. So you did. So we got the rookie copyright guide, and then was so was supplement marketing secrets the the second book. Yeah, and again, you're going to be really underwhelmed by this. So that was created for a specific purpose. Um, and well, I would I, hope so. <laughs> well, might as well put up on Amazon. What it was is I was running ads in a particular magazine that went out to people who own supplement businesses and or people who own manu manufacturing businesses that manufacture supplements. So it was a lead gen piece, uh, you know, trolling for clients is what it was. And then I thought, ah, well, might as well put it up on Amazon in case somebody sees my ad and looks for it on Amazon. Well, that's great though. I mean, why not repurpose your, your content? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, I came just, from, uh, that came from uh, newsletter content that I, you know, I took bits and pieces from certain newsletters and kind of massaged it a little bit and made a book out of it. You know, this is the thing. Like, I, uh, so I just actually finished writing a webinar script for some, some training I'm doing. And, and one of the concepts I talk about there is that, you know, we, we are in a new era of what, of, of essentially, writing books is a new way of, of creating books because <clears throat> for so long we've getting a book published and, and live into the world was such an arduous process and for you know for such a long time i mean it was kind of like the uh, uh medieval england where you had the uh you know the landholders which were the publishers and then everyone else was just a uh you know a, a serf on their land who was just privileged to be there and so trying to get a book published, like you had to go through all of this groveling and, you know, torture and, and the majority of the time you still couldn't get it because you had this castle that was like, no, only we have the keys to let someone in here. And, and so, you know, 500 years of that being sort of the case, we have this mentality of uh, what a book actually means. And, and in my training, I make a argument about that we need to redefine what it means to write a book and the example I'll use is uh, uh, several years ago I was on a flight back from uh, Idaho and I met a, a young woman and uh, on the on, and we were chatting and, and we became friends and I started following her on Facebook and for her Facebook was kind of she used it more of like a journal and she was uh, she would write these just really witty little if not essays is what they were but for her it was really just kind of silly things i'm posting on facebook she was really really talented 
And so I went to her and I said, you know, like you, this is really good stuff. Like this is a fresh voice. It's unique. These essays are entertaining. They're emotionally moving. And so we actually went through two years of her Facebook wall and pulled off her posts and then we cleaned them up and she ended up with a 300 page book on personal essays. Now, when I told her that she had already written a book, she's like, I could never write a book. I could never do that. It just take way too long. It's way too hard. And yet she already had. And but because she wasn't looking at what she'd created in a, in a way that she, they could reuse it. And so, you know, for you, like all of the blog posts that you made, this is with a lot, again, with a lot of my clients, I'll talk about how many years have you been writing blog posts? Oh, four years. Okay, we probably got two books right there. It just doesn't occur to people that, you can take the material on your, your blog and put it into a book and like, well, it's on the blog. Why could I put it into a book? And I'm like, uh, or do, do you realize how publishing used to work back in the day, you know, back in the 17 and 1800s, there's this, uh, you know, it was the serials, you know, you would, uh, you'd have guys that would, they would write a chapter of their book and it would get published in the newspaper and they would do that literally for an entire year. And then at the end of the year, the newspaper would take all of those stories and then they would bind them up in a book and make a book out of it. That's the same thing. Like, that was the blog and the newspapers were the blog of the day. And uh, so anyway, I'm going off on a tangent because I get very passionate about this stuff, about the fact that most people I feel have already written a book. They just don't know that they have it. And that, you know, you've already keyed in on that. You're like, Hey, I've got this thing I created. I wonder if I can create a book out of it. And you did. Uh, I did the same thing. I, um, after I'd helped, I don't know, I think I'd helped 50 some people, uh, hit the bestseller list, help them go from blank page to fully published. And I started going, well, what else can I turn into a book? And so then I, I took my master's thesis, you know, two years and however many more tens of thousands of dollars for my education than I care to admit, uh, why not publish that as a book? And so I turned that into a book, hit number two on Amazon, and now all the royalties from that go to uh, support veterans. So uh, I, I just love, I, I love the fact that your first two books sort of came out of this process of looking around and asking like, how can I, how can I do this? So um, let, let's talk about just sell the damn thing. Cause I, I love the book and I think it's uh, it, personally, I feel like it's your, your, your best book and it's certainly my favorite. So how, what was the evolution of that one? Uh, really similar to the first two. Um, it was, I had been talking about that for at least a year, probably over a year prior to, prior to writing the book, I've been talking about like this, the old online model that we had been taught, which was offer people something free in exchange for the, them getting on your list and then offering more free stuff and giving away free stuff to build the relationship. Got to move the free line. Yep. Move the free line because, uh, uh, what, what's the, what's Cialdini say? Uh, re, law of reciprocation, you know, you give away all this oh, free yeah. stuff and, and people will feel know, obligated to you. Yeah. And so my experience had been that, yes, that worked in the past, but I started noticing even as far back as 2010, it's, it wasn't working as great. And then it progressively got worse and worse in a variety of different markets. So like I went on a tangent about that and it got very dogmatic about why you should not attract people to your list by giving something away free. And, um, you know, and then I came up with, uh, 
naming it just sell the damn thing because that's one thing Halbert yelled at me one time when he was reading some of my copy I, I don't know what I had written in the beginning but it wasn't good and um <laughs> you know he just told me you know you're spending you're spending too much time just uh you know trying to get warmed up just sell the damn thing and it stuck with me all those years so I like I named it that and created a system and then came up with an acronym JSTDT. And I'd been ranting about it in a newsletter in a book seemed like the next logical process. And the, you know, the whole purpose was to, to have something to sell on the front end that, you know, that was, was me on my soapbox, right. Being controversial and, and to attract people into my marketing Camelot on the back end. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's how that came about. And a large portion of it is recycled newsletter content and some stuff I'd written in emails and perhaps, you know, a few blog posts. It was all massaged and rewritten and new content added, but you know, it was a lot of it was repurposed content. Well, but you also have to, you know, have case studies to sort of clarify what it is you're actually talking about. And for that, you don't necessarily need to create anything new. So I, I got to take a lesson from you because I have a tendency just to write books and then I publish them. And then after they're out, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have had a, uh, a purpose behind that one. I, I think out of the 11 books that I have, one of them's a lead generator and all the rest of them, like, why'd you write that? I don't know. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> well, so it's, I, you know, it's a legacy thing. I guess. I was just like... I'm like, you know, I, I do, I just, what a writer is like the old, uh, the last uh, Rocky, uh, Rocky Balboa movie, you know, what do fighters do? Fighters fight. And I'm like, well, what do writers do? Well, writers just write. And I was like, publish it. Why did you publish that one? I don't know. It's there. You can read it if you want. <laughs> it's just like, what, what's your, and this is the thing with the publishing world, but what's your platform? You, every book has to have, you have to have a platform and the platform is behind it. And I was like, uh, no, no platform. That's just my thoughts on that thing. <laughs> You know, so, even if a book is, now that I've seen the success that can come from a book and how effective a book can be, um, even if one is published without any strategy behind it, the only thing you want to do is just get the information out there. I still feel like you can't lose because now you just got like another feather in your cap and you say, I'm a, you know, I'm a six time published author or seven time or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and that's eventually what happened. I actually was embarrassed because uh, about six months ago, somebody was like, oh, how many books do you have? And like, I, I actually didn't know I had to stop and count them. And then I was almost like, I felt like a narcissistic idiot going like, oh, I'm 11 books, sure. <laughs> but I back that because I just published them. I don't even think about it. I totally just kind of forgot about that. But anyway, all right. Well, there's some value. There's values in my books then. Um, all right. So I, I know we're getting uh, getting on on time here and you've been super generous. So let, let's finish up here with your your final book um because uh, so for the listener uh, i i watch, i follow dan and i i'm part of his newsletter and i like to see what he's doing and and not too long ago he he the i i got an email that drove me to a sales page and he was selling a physical paper book for a thousand dollars and uh that it just blew my mind because, you know, if you go to a New York publisher and you say, hey, we're going to charge $35 for this hardcover book, they'll, they'll scream at you and be like, oh, you're out of your mind. No one will buy a book. And so they'll price it at maybe 30 because that's all they feel that they can get is $30. And so here you were with a $1,000 book. 
So let's talk about that. What, first off, what, 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 what made you think of the book? And then what was the thought that said, I'm going to sell this for $1,000? I had this thought one day, gee, I wonder if I could sell a book for $1,000. <laughs> That's awesome. And then I had to work backward. What would somebody pay $1,000 for that's in a book? And, uh, and the first thing I thought of was, well, you know, it's like what they tell all nonfiction authors. It's, it's got to be about get paid, get laid, lose weight. So it's got to be something about making money, um, relationships, or health. And, you know, relationships and health, not necessarily a specialty of mine. And I don't have an audience for those topics, but I do have an audience of business people, marketers, entrepreneurs, and, um, you know, they view an investment in something, they can make an investment in something and make that back multiplied, then they're happy. They don't necessarily look at stuff like the consumer, like a consumer would think you'd be an idiot to spend a thousand dollars on a book, but an entrepreneur or marketer would think, Hey man, you know, if I could make back three X, I'll still consider this a win. So I thought, okay, so what is the fastest win I could provide people? And it's the thing I've been a broken record about, which is where all your profits are made in business is by selling to your existing customers. It's not getting new customers. So, you know, I wanted to sexy it up. And the name of the book is The Secret Code to Hidden Wealth. And, um, you know, it's, it's about, let me look at the title. I sounds, forget my sounds, own sounds very Illuminati-ish. Yes. Are you part Secret of this? So we, well, we have to have a second episode where you're going to talk to me about uh, your journey of becoming the, joining the Illuminati. That's right. Yeah. That, that's really why you had to leave the police force because you were just privy to too much insider information. And all, the, and all the secret stuff revealed in this book that only Illuminati people would understand. <laughs> I have to be a level seven Illuminati member before yeah. I can. Yes, and it was it's... created while I was under the influence of MK Ultra Mind Control. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, the aliens uh, directed me to do this. Was no, the Gal Galavidians, is that what they call them? That, yes, I think word? so. <laughs> It's, the fact uh, I even know that is just like ridiculously dumb. It shows you I'm a nerd. <laughs> Travis knows about the Galavidians. Maybe it's because I really am a seven, level seven Illuminati. Ah, there you go. See, we're, we're I publicly can. I can neither you. publicly neither confirm nor deny that, the, that this conversation even took place. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that, that was basically the story behind the book. And again, it was a lot of repurposed newsletter most of it was repurposed newsletter content about how to make money um on the back end selling to your existing customers because like that's the fastest well that's the lowest hanging fruit that a business owner could do and most but, of them don't do it and what a fascinating case study though because your question was what's the fastest win well i can teach people how to sell more expensive stuff to people on their back end so you wrote a book to teach people how to do that, that then you sold to people that were already on your list as part, and that was your back end. <laughs> yeah, so you're basically selling them exactly what you're telling them, showing, and you're showing them how to do it. Like, this is how you do it. I'm doing it right now. And people gladly and paid you $1,000. They're like, oh, this is awesome. Yes, I want to know how to do this. So far, you're one of the few people who's actually picked up on that. 
you said something very important there, which is you talked about, I had, the, I had this thought and the question was, what would people pay for a book for $1,000? What would that book have to have in it? And so lately I've been studying a lot on uh, Maxwell Maltz and you know, psycho-cybernetics and Matt Fury uh, owns the company now and they, they talks a lot about the questions you ask your mind. And I, I never really understood this and until about three, four months ago, and I was talking to a client of mine who's very, very successful. And, and he was talking about, um, he's kind of like John Benson. So John Benson, you know, started, he's considered a sales, a copywriter, and, but he doesn't really actually consider himself a copywriter. Like he, he'll, he'll just acknowledge it because that's what people call him, but he doesn't really think that way. And this client's the same way. He does a lot of sales copy. He has a lot of really winning offers, but he doesn't think about it. And he was saying, he's like, He's like, Travis, the difference between me and like a normal copywriter or a regular copywriter or whatever you want to call it is that most copywriters just sit down and they start writing. You know, they have their formula and they go through their template and they just write it all out and then they kind of vomit it all up on the page. And he's like, I, I don't, he's like, before I ever start writing anything, especially sales copy, he's like, I'll sit down and he's like, I'll just ask myself a question of like, how do I create a headline that smashes all sales records, makes me a legend in my industry and gets people to pull out their credit cards and buy in mass amounts. And it's like, that's a question he'll ask. And then like, and, and, and he'll just ask his brain that again. And then eventually he'll come up with something and then he ends up having this huge blockbuster. And so I think that's interesting because your question was, how do I get someone to buy book for a thousand dollars and that reminds me of an, an experience I had a few years ago I was in a seminar and it was about 60 people 70 people in the room and it was being taught I say a kid who was maybe 30 years old and he just done a four-day workshop and he was he was selling he comes out and he pitches a program and he started with a $30,000 program and then they took lunch and they came back and he pitched a $100,000 program and then he took a break and then he came out and he actually pitched from stage a $200,000 mastermind. And I remember this guy who was probably 65 stood up and, and, and just basically almost started yelling at him and was just like, who are you? Who are you a punk little kid to get in front of this room and, and have the gall to pitch a $200,000 program. And he was just going off on this kid and the you know, kid just sit there. It was all calm and looked at him and he's like, okay. He's like, I, thanks for the feedback. I, I can, I appreciate you vocalizing how you feel. And he's like, I'm before I answer your question, I just have to ask you a question. Are you happy with where you are at financially in your life? <laughs> And you know, it was like a slap in the face to this guy. Of course, you. And he's like, "No, I'm not." He's like, "That's why I'm here." And he's like, "Right, that's why you're here." And he's like, "Guess what? I'm I'm happy." And he's like, "And do you want to know why you're not happy financially, where you want to be in your life?" And the guy's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Here's the reason why. You're looking at me and you're blaming me and you're like mad at me because I'm pitching something for two hundred thousand dollars." And he's like, "But I want to know the difference of why I'm very financially successful in my life and you are not." He's like, I get $200,000 for a mastermind because I ask. <laughs> and he's all, and I can tell from the, just your question there that you never, the reason you're not, because you don't ask for what you want. 
If I came to you and gave you a $10,000 program, you would probably be scared to ask people for the money. And he's like, and that's why you're not financially where you want to be. And until you deal with that issue, you'll never be where you want to be. And I was just like, I was blown away. 30-year-old kid schooling this, this 65-year-old guy. And I thought about it. And like, what was the only difference? The only difference was he asked. And that was the question. You know, this is where we'll end here is that, you know, that was the question you asked. How can you sell a book for $1,000? Because I asked. I created something of value that was worth it, and I asked. We, All right. So fi we, final, final uh, Doberman how You'd be surprised at how flexible, how elastic price points can be. And the only thing that really keeps us in, in lower price points is usually some sort of limiting belief. We've come full circle, Dan. We're back to the limiting we're, beliefs. We're back to the mindset stuff, right? <laughs> Although I think I think I have an idea for your uh, for your five thousand dollar book, and it's going to be the secrets to losing weight, getting laid, and getting paid. We can ah, we can go. easily charge five thousand dollars for that book. There you go. I like it. All right. Well, any final words of wisdom from the Doberman Dan on life or business? You know. Um, one thing I've discovered is that you can make a lot of progress and you can even make a lot of money by taking wrong actions, but I've not seen anything good come out of inaction. And it's just like you talking about, everybody's worried about creating, you know, their book not being good. You know, the only thing between you and a good book is you creating a shitty book? You know, it's just sometimes you just have to take action. The action is the only thing that's going to get to the you to the point where you want to be. That's why I say I I've literally seen millions of dollars of wealth created by people taking the wrong actions, but I've never seen anything good come out of inaction. Mm. What well, was it that Gary Halbert used to say? movement beats meditation was that his phrase or something like yep. that that was a that's a famous halbertism and most people sit around thinking about it and he'd rather just have the guy that just goes and does it well if if they're not on your list i highly encourage people to visit dobermandan.com enter their email and get on your list and watch what you're doing because that in and of itself is a 30-year education and direct marketing and salesmanship. So Dan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on the show. And I really appreciate it. Thank you, Travis. I had a good time. Thanks for the invitation. Cheers. Hey, it's Travis Cody. Thanks for listening to the Just Right Show. And I want to make sure you're plugged into everything we've got going on. Go to traviscody.com forward slash show and join the email list so you can get notified when new episodes come out. Plus, you can find links to the transcripts of every episode we've done in the past. You can also grab a free copy of my best-selling books that share even more details on how you can up-level your own writing skills. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, I'd consider it a personal favor if you'll leave me a review on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.